here today with somebody that uh, has been a very important part of my professional life and music life, the one and only Mr. Jonas Temple. How are you, sir? I'm good. That's uh, the one and only. That's a that's, that's a lot right. to live up to. I don't know any other Jonas Temple. That's, <laughs> that's true. I do. I, I guess I have a pretty unique name, except when I went to Stockholm and every other person was named Jonas. So <laughs> nice. that freaked me out. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I get it. You know, the Europeans tend to uh, t- tend to mention my name a little bit uh, differently, being that it's Jorge as well. So yeah. I feel you on that one, man. But yeah, so today we're going to talk about the history of Beeport and who better to kind of talk a little bit about that than one of the main figureheads of the whole entire brand, the creation of it. And just to set the table here, I always publicly in interviews or panels always give a lot of props and kudos to Beeport because um, that's how Symphonic really started, you know, being that I was a producer, started a record label. You guys actually uh, gave me the ability of making revenue off of my music in the very beginning of my journey. And um, it really helped to build uh, the company that it is today. So I really thought this would be a special episode and one that is near and dear to me. And um, of course, Jonas is someone that I've respected very greatly over the years. So um, it's awesome to be on here and let's just jump right in. So how did Beatport begin? You know, who was part of it? Who had the idea for the whole entire, you know, thing? Oh, man, this is the, like, the, the origin story is always the best, right? So, um, you know, we were, we were all DJs. Uh, I was running an ad agency, and I had, you know, I don't know, 25, 30 people working for me in this ad agency. And um, there was a handful of guys I hung with and DJed with. Um, and we were seeing the first um kind of the first people showing up with either like burned cds like they'd made a cd from a cdr um, or they were djing off their laptop and there was just a few people that were doing this um but it you know i've always been a little bit of an early adopter and i was just super curious about it and my good friend eloy um he he actually bought the software final scratch and we thought it was amazing. And Eloy is like one of the most meticulous dudes on the planet. Like he would record vinyl. So we would still go to the record store. We would buy the vinyl. Then he would take it home and record it. And he would go in there and edit out all the little pops and sizzles that you would get. And one day he came to me and just was like, Hey, why can't we just buy this digitally? And it was an, a very honest question. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, there, was, there, were, there weren't many options at the time. No, no, you could go to Napster or LimeWire and yeah. basically hunt for these really low quality rips. And, but what Eloy was doing was really critical. He was taking these vinyl things, pulling them back into digital and kind of, kind of I wouldn't call it remastering it, but like putting a new shine on it so that we could play it on the laptop. But you always lost a little of the sound quality and stuff. And so Eloy just, it just was just like, this is crazy. We should, we should figure this out. And I, it, I have a very dangerous brain in that <laughs> when you ask me questions that I can't solve, those are the best kind. Yeah. And, and honestly, the, I've always given Eloy the credit for this because he deserves it. I mean, he really showed up with the, with the genuine question. And it went a little further than that. He was like with another buddy and they were like, we think we can build a store to do this. And, uh, but, but it didn't go very far there. And we just decided to do it ourselves through the agency. Yeah. And, and so honestly, but listen, it was a crazy time. Uh, huh. There was no roadmap absolutely none there was no itunes store there was no nothing uh and so we had no idea if anybody would actually buy a track and a a, a true story our original idea and you're going to laugh at this (laughs) was that we would build a a vinyl to digital recording factory and so (laughs) people like you you have all those vinyl in the background there people like you would say I want to play this stuff. Think, think right now, like there's services where you send a VHS or a picture in and they'll digitize it for you. We were going to make that business for, for DJs. Just send us your vinyl. We'll record it back to digital for you. So that was the original idea. 
But then we looked at each other. I mean, this was like one day of brainstorming. And then we looked at each other and said, that's completely ridiculous because so many people play a lot of the same music. And so like, A, how the hell do we keep track of all these record collections? This could be really dangerous if we lose people's records or we scratch them. Or like, if it's basically the same thing over and over, that's probably really inefficient. And then we decided, well, we actually just need to talk to the record labels and get the digital masters before they go to, to final vinyl mastering. And that way we could sell the digital master, not the vinyl master. Cause if you know anything about that and you do Jorge, that final production, the mastering for vinyl and mastering for digital is a two different things. Totally different. Yeah. And so if you have those digital files that were mastered for vinyl, they're really flat. They're really conservative uh, because you get a lot of warmth out of that needle that you don't get in like a cd at that point a cd player and so we were on the right track and so we just started calling labels i mean this is just so hilarious it's fun to relive this stuff <laughs> like i always tell people uh one of my greatest joys of even this business was so much of the beginning of it because you're kind of really just figuring shit out and like it's super exciting you know you're growing so fast because you know, you've never hit that number before, right? right? So it's kind of like, it's always fun to reminisce about it, you know? Yeah, so Eloy and I, we, we grabbed an, uh, another partner, Brad Roulier. Brad was our promoter at the club. So he actually knew all the artists because mm -hmm. uh, he was a talent buyer. So it was like a great combination of Eloy's skill set, which just think of like the most meticulous mind that you could ever imagine. That's a good business partner to have, right? Because he's a great yeah. operations guy. Just give him a problem and he'll organize it and make it work. I'm a creative, so I can't do any of what Eloy could do. Like the overlap was 0%. <laughs> so, so that makes a good business team. And then Brad is the third one. And like and his skill sets are totally different in a, in, a, in a completely more abstract way that he's just a relationship guy. So we used to jokingly call his phone the marketing department. And so, you know, between the three of us, we had enough skill um to, to start riffing on this and we pulled in some of my agency team and then we started building the the concept inside of our agency and then we started to put a team together um and we actually the longest employee at at Beeport for a very long time was Lloyd uh but he was actually a freelancer for our agency that's how we grabbed him and so you know, we, we, we were just lucky that we had a really dedicated team. Then I got another really lucky thing that I was friends with a guy who played for the Denver Broncos, yeah. uh, Trevor Price. And right. Trevor was also a DJ. And um, he had, uh, he just had way too much money, to be totally honest. He was <laughs> like, I think he signed a $100 million a year NFL yeah. contract and he was like driving a Ferrari and looking like an idiot. And we were like, <laughs> Trevor, like help us start this company. And so to, to this guy's credit, I mean, swear to God, he gave us $250,000, five $50,000 checks uh, after he would send them to us on like a Tuesday after he got paid from the games on Sunday because the NFL gets paid once a week. That's right, yeah. And, and um, he did that all on a handshake. We never had one piece of paperwork with Trevor. Probably the easiest fundraising you ever had to do. Right Absolute now. easiest. So we had the agency's horsepower and then, I don't know, we got lucky, I guess, in a, in a little bit that the, we had some early traction. We, we had some early cash flow risk or eliminated by these early investors. And then we decided to call Native Instruments. And that was probably the biggest breakthrough we had um, because we were like, you know, we... Actually, let me back up one one step because I think the the more important there was two major moments in this. Obviously, the fundraising and the fact that we had an agency and we're good at building brands. I mean, that was just table stakes because we came in with a lot of personal skills. We were all really good DJs. Like we knew how to promote that, those things. Those things were baked in. But what we didn't know how to do was to get the get the partnerships. So there was a really devastating day, and that was when I, iTunes announced they were launching because uh, we were like two thirds through our build. And then all of a sudden they launched the iTunes store. I mean, can you just imagine like yeah. we were sitting there like, Oh my God, yeah. this is, this is a death card to us. And, but we took a step back and I went home and I remember like it was, it was a, 
it was honestly, it was probably one of the best days of my life as a CEO. And that's just the truth. As I came back in, I set my team down and I just said that rarely in your life do you get the chance to be the world's best at something. Right. I'm never going to be the world's fastest person or the world's strongest person or the world's best looking or whatever, whatever category you want to put yourself in. But I was convinced and I'm still convinced that Beatport can be the world's best at this, that Apple couldn't threaten us, nobody could threaten us. And that if... We believe that in the core of our existence and we bought into that from a company culture point of view, that then there would be absolutely no way anybody would, would be able to compete with us. And that was a defining moment in our, in our journey. It really was. Um, so kudos to Apple for showing up and scaring us to death. Right. And And what was kind of cool about it too, is that you guys, you know, obviously I'm going to skip ahead in a, in a way, but it's like you differentiated yourself so much from Apple because there wasn't really an established kind of like distribution logistical pipeline, so to speak, back then, right? You know, oh. most people were just putting their music on Beatport and you guys had a very exclusive original catalog, which is what attracted me as a consumer, but then obviously even as from a business perspective too. Yeah. So, so, and I agree. I mean, it was, but it was very nascent. Uh, you got to remember those moments where it was like, uh, nobody even knew how to deliver. Right. So we had this guy, Ronnie, working for us. That's right. And yeah. he was literally running around Berlin with a hard drive. <laughs> because if you told people like, especially in Berlin, because that, at that moment, the internet was terrible. Yeah. Hey, take all your masters and upload them to this FTP site. People would be like, what are you even talking about? That doesn't make any sense to me. So Ronnie would literally go to their house with a hard drive. And they, would, they would dump them on there. Then he would go back to the native instruments office because they had a faster internet connection. Then he would upload to our system, you know, but even then it would take like for the bigger catalogs, it would take, you know, two days right. to yeah. upload. Yeah. I mean, are- this, this is all so crazy. If you think when these businesses started Jorge to where we are today, just with bandwidth, Right. I was paying in our in our office, I think an insane like fifteen to twenty thousand a month. Oh my god. To have a T three line yeah. into the building. These like I'm using vocabulary that nobody even has anymore. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, everybody there was a T one line and then there was a T three line. And when we had a T three, we thought we were the shit. <laughs> And because they had to bring a truck, they had to dig up an alley, they had to lay this huge cable right to our building. And then you literally, you didn't just help change the music industry, you kind of changed some of the real estate and, and the roads of Denver and all that too. To know? some degree, yeah, because like this is it was all happening. Yeah. Like you just couldn't do these businesses with the existing digital infrastructure. Yeah. You could try. That's pretty I mean, I have, I have so many crazy stories about this. Like, oh, yeah, this, this is cool. And, I was at the club one night and this kid came up to me and he goes, Hey, man, I'd never even seen this kid in my life. He goes, Hey, you don't know me, but you know, I'm in this hacker group and I just don't, I don't know if you realize this, but there's like a whole community of hackers that just take music from Beatport without you guys knowing. <laughs> oh, man. And you're like, well, welcome aboard the team as my cybersecurity expert. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? He goes, there's a server that has a, it doesn't have the right security and we, and we all hack it. And so we, <laughs> we had all the ingestion go into this storage server before it got encoded and go to the website and these hackers got onto that server. Yeah. And so they weren't malicious. They were just wanting music. I mean, that's the funniest part about it. They were like hacker DJs. Right. And so they would sit there and wait for us to upload new tracks. That's the kind of cool thing about electronic music too. It's that like, there's a lot of technologists in that genre. It's always kind of like the first to sort of develop a lot of, of the somewhat like digital music industry, if you really think about it, um, it, which I think is pretty interesting. And, you know, I think for everybody that's listening, it's like, I always look at this whole story as like the beginning, the middle, and then the future of Vport. But I, di- I want to finish off on the beginning side, obviously oh, yeah. with, when you guys were doing your thing, you know, I started to notice a lot of obviously competitors popping up and everything like that. So what do you think that they did that you guys didn't do well? And, you know, is it just the fact that you guys were first to market at that point or, you know, how do you talk about? We weren't, we weren't the first. All right. There was a few other little sites out of Europe 
listen, this was a really hard. I mean, you know this, or hey, come on, this is really freaking hard. I know, but we gotta let other people know. It's it, man. really, really, really hard to be good at this game. Totally. And you can you can use all the fancy words you want. You can live your life in like, you know, tech tech bro or tech girl like lingo none mm-hmm. of that stuff matters what you have to do is stand up go out into the market and learn who your customers are both on the dj side and the supplier side then you got to go help them thrive and what Beeport did i think better than most of those other services we tried very hard to not make it about Beeport. Mm-hmm. it really shouldn't be about Beeport in any way it should be about me as a dj really wanting to crush the club on Saturday night. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And, and so we made it a point to get out of the way. And so we were just a marketplace to connect the passion of DJs and electronic music fans with the passion of content creators and, and the labels that represent them. Um, and that little love affair really works. We're not a music business we're at all. We're a business that services the ambition of these artists and DJs. And if we focus on that, then we get out of the minutia of, you know, trying to win at all the little things that don't really matter. What yeah. matters is when I press play on that track, I'm going to make an emotional decision within two or three seconds, whether I want that piece of music or not. So mm-hmm. everything else has to get out of the way. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. doesn't matter how cool your logo is. It doesn't matter how cool your interface is. Nobody cares. What they care about is, do I want that song? And right. is that song good? And so being delicate and learning how to like really do these things the right way is extremely hard. And so that's why a lot of people failed is because they made it about themselves or they made it about their technology and they were going to be streamlined and they were going to do that. And as you know, this industry doesn't work that way. That's why SFX failed. Yeah. I mean, come on. It just showed up and said, Hey, we're the new Kings in town. And everybody said, yeah, we don't really care because we don't know you. <laughs> and that this world is just very insular and they do not. And most, most, most small industries are, you know, you need to come up from within and earn the trust. And, you know, Brad, I, Brad and myself and Eloy, we made it a point to go out and shake every hand we could possibly do. And you've done the same thing, Jorge. That's the success of Symphonic, quite honestly, yeah. is you and your, the way that you've led your team to be a part of this community and to really support it first and foremost. Not yeah. just DJs, but music in general, because it's, a, it's an art form. Totally. And I believe that we have the responsibility as operators and brand designers to get engaged in the community and add value. It's always a challenge. And, you know, you mentioned SFX, which is a good way of kind of like talking about the middle and, and all that. I mean, that was a very crazy time. That was a very uh, sort of like everything happening at once. Obviously, the, the electronic music industry had blown the hell up and everyone was doing it. Um, all these things were kind of like happening really, really fast. And I think at that point you were kind of stepping, I think you stepped away at that point and you were, you were kind of doing, no, I stepped away. I stepped away for, for personal reasons. And, and I'll, and I'll share that on this story because, because it's really important. And I think it goes a lot to mental health. Um, guys, listen, I mean, I was, there's some amazing things that happened to be portal on the way that a lot of people don't know about. So Sony tried to buy V port. Mm-hmm. for an astronomical number, like right. an insane, life-changing, huge number. And <clears throat> we had, you know, barely any revenue to speak of, but they saw the future and they knew that we were a very talented team and they wanted it. Right. And the board said, no. Now here's the problem with that. Um, you have a lot of people that sit around that table, like it or not, and they start doing math in their brain. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like I own this much of this, and if we would have taken that check, this much would have been this, and like I could have a like a condo in you know Paris and whatever. You know, you can't help it; it's human nature. And now that goes away, right? So that was 2007. What happens in 2008? Economy goes right. horseshit, <laughs> and the value of Bport just on a pure valuation, the way companies are valued, dropped 90 percent 
at the exact time that our revenue was growing at 200%. Uh. So imagine that feeling as a CEO. Now, all these investors look at me as if I'm failing them. Right. Because our value has plummeted, but it's the economy. It's not us. Exactly. It's operators. And so, and there was other issues, you know, there was some investors that needed liquidity and I'll leave that private because that's not fair to expose their issues. Absolutely. But they needed liquidity and they were pushing hard and they were, there was fights in the boardroom and they tried to fire me as CEO two times and I survived both times. But I'm telling you, it takes a toll on your mental health. Absolutely. And I started making worse and worse decisions and I'll, and I'll own it because I was, I was pissed. Yeah. I was super pissed. And I don't think I was a great leader for Bport on my last year there because I was really upset about the way I felt I was being treated. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's, I mean, Jorge, you know, this as a CEO, it's a super lonely job. Everyone sure. thinks it's the job. Let's yeah. go get the job. That's the job. I want to be the CEO. I mean, it is really hard. Absolutely. No, and thank you for saying that because it's, <laughs> It's almost uh, it's almost difficult to somewhat even admit that at first, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of kind of uh, lonely thoughts, even so to speak, right? And a lot of self doubt that you can place on yourself, you know? Yeah, and you know you ride these you ride these economic turns, and so you know Bport had some up um, under my. I, I was there at a very lucky time, right? Like inception to like mega growth right and so i never under my leadership i never had a down quarter ever um as a matter of fact they were all like you know double if not triple different triple digit growth Mm -hmm. and and it wasn't that i'm some amazing ceo that's not it at all we were just in that growth curve sure then um i hired matt adele and um he wasn't our first choice, but he was, he came from Napster. He seemed to get DJing in the, the space that we were in. And despite his quirkiness, I thought he was going to be a good hire. Um, but to be fair and, and transparent, it really added a layer of complexity to the management because our management styles are so different. Right. Um, and I was exhausted and I was telling Matt, um, Hey dude, I'm going to be leaving and you're taking over because I can't take this shit anymore. <laughs> and so I probably was telling them that for maybe his first six months that he was there. So it, I knew that I was leaving for a long time. Mm-hmm. I just needed to find the moment. So the moment was just blowing up, in a board call about some stupid stuff and right. me being super immature and I own it now and basically walking out like this <laughs> saying fuck right. you to everyone. Yeah. And it was a low point professionally, personally, and on a maturity level, probably like a level two out of 10, you know, like uh, right. I was pissed and I let that anger um, faster and I didn't reach out and I never got mentoring to how, how I should improve myself. And it's been a massive lesson. I'm so grateful that it happened to me because it really shaped myself as a leader. Yep. Because when you don't do those basic things, it's like a marriage or any other things. You have to get help. You have to. Totally. You need advisors. You need people that you can say, what the fuck? How do I deal with this? Or how do I deal with that? And if you don't go get those for yourself, in any aspect of your life, it's a real shortcoming. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, when, when we were building out a lot of our executive team and just in general, you know, experiencing the growth, it, it's really, you have to kind of look in the mirror and say, okay, I need to bring some experienced people that have done this before, have a certain sense of business maturity, but also adult uh, like maturity as well, because that's going to really shape you. And it's been wonderful for me, and, and I'm glad to hear that journey. And by the way, I dig how uh, honest you're being about, um, you know, your, your past, because that's, you have to be, you know, no one's perfect. And in such a rapid moment of growth, it's easy for things to, to kind of evolve and get to where they are, you know, so. Yeah, so, so fast forward to me stepping out. I immediately got hired by Beats by Dre. Mm-hmm. I stepped into a new role 
so I'd spent the last eight years or 10 years, I guess, building a download business. Mm-hmm. Then I step into Beats by Dre and it's a streaming business. So we're not downloading anymore. We're basically selling or leasing access to content. Yeah. Um, and, and, and listen, I stepped into a world with some of the world's greatest entrepreneurs. Like uh, you're talking Jimmy Iovine, Dre, Luke Wood, uh, who knows, most people don't know about, but if you knew the Beats by Dre story, Luke was president and he's the, I mean, the reason it became what it was operationally was his leadership. I mean, he's a genius. And TJ Graywall, who is the chief product officer and chief operating officer and um, uh, Omar Johnson, who was the chief marketing officer. And like the, the talent on that team was staggering. And then we bolted on another team which was myself, um, Ola Sars, and Joel Rojo. Uh, Ola and Joel are from Stockholm, and we had an incredibly talented team. And then they brought in Trent Reznor to join our team. Um, and like, just just try to put yourself in this world with me for a second. Right. I would be at work at a table trying to like you know do business. And I'm with Dre, Trent Reznor, I mean, Gwen Stefani, Akon. Yeah, like, how, how do you deal with that mentally after what you went through, right? And you're like, okay, here we go. And and it was just super, like, in the – I'm a little bit of a fan fanboy, I guess. I mean sure. – but when you're working with people, honestly, I would forget. I, I mean, this is a true story. I would forget Trent was famous all the time. Nice. That's because awesome. I, I just worked with him every single day. And first of all, that guy is extraordinarily smart and extraordinarily stubborn. And he's <laughs> stubborn because he's a rock star. And right. he's just been trained that he gets what he wants. And it's not his fault. And it, I would never say one bad thing about Trent Reznor, but he just doesn't have to play by the rules. No. That's just how it works when you're a rock star. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. So you're a, a, a you know, Hall of Fame rock star now as well. Yeah, exactly, like fucking like a mega, mega, mega superstar. And yeah. I was like, just, just like again. So I'm going from like living in Denver, growing this cool brand, and I'm loving it. Now I'm hanging out at Trent Reznor's house in his studio um, with Atticus Ross. And Trent doing the soundtrack to the girl with the dragon tattoo. Right. And I'm sitting in their home studio and these dudes are like, they've got a movie screen up. They're like running all these synthesizers. And I'm like, this is literally the greatest moment of my life. Yeah, that was badass. <laughs> I mean, Trent and Nine Inch Nails to me are like, you know, literally my Mount Rushmore almost. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, incredible. For sure. They're inc- I mean, it's just, so I just got to work with these iconic figures and I got to see this great company starting to build. And what do I see in the horizon over here? Mm-hmm. B-Port, this thing that we put our heart and we bled for doing this. Right, yeah, just sinking, yeah. And I sat there and I kept my mouth shut for as literally as long as I could. Yeah, years, yeah. I mean, you were- I really <laughs> was a good guy. And I sat there and I never said a word. Right. And- there was a point that I literally, I just couldn't take it anymore. Holy. I just couldn't. It's like, I know you haven't stepped out of symphonic, um, but when you do, and that day happens, it's a child of yours. You've raised it. You named it. You groomed it. You gave it its first haircut. You made the first logos. You did all of these things. And now someone else is raising your child. Right. And they're doing a fucking terrible job. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. there's a point you just can't take it anymore you just can't and so i wrote this piece that i knew was going to go viral because there's so many people that were so disappointed in before right. i remember uh, i remember when you wrote this yeah and i just said you know without naming any names this is all wrong you forgot the path and if I was there or if this founding team was there and I felt in my heart, I was speaking for Eloy, even though he didn't help write that, but I believe that he appreciated it. This is what we would do. Right. And this is why we would do it. And it wouldn't be about being famous. Nobody gives a fuck. Nobody knows Jonas Temple. 
right. what do you do because you met me? Yeah. But I'm not trying to be a celebrity entrepreneur. I could care less. I want to build cool things for the customers. Yeah. They're the celebrities in my heart. And so we, I just, I just wrote this and then, yeah, I made sure it got posted really wide <laughs> because I wanted to send a very clear message to that operating team at, at Bport that they were disappointing the founders of that company mm-hmm. and they should be ashamed. And they were risking it all for stupid bets that right. were just never going to pay off. There wasn't one product feature that was launched, not one, mm-hmm. after we left, that survived. They right. were 100% failures. Mm-hmm. And when you watch a company go through that, and then you watch what it does to the customer and the product experience, and then you see these morons claiming success while they're failing like publicly in infinite ways, it's just really heartbreaking. Yeah. And, and so I just did something very out of character for me and I said something, mm-hmm. um, I don't even like sending like a, I mean, you could really fuck up my order at a restaurant and I'll probably just take it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's who yeah. I am. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but this, I just had enough and I couldn't keep my mouth shut. And sure. so I pinned this note and then I started a dialogue and I made it my fucking mission that I was going to get back into this game mm-hmm. somehow, somewhere. And, and so I had a really great friendship for all these years with Rob McDaniels. Right. Um, he and I used to hang out all the time in Miami for the winter music conference. And, um, I always respected, listen, I respect you guys because you stepped into these roles as digital distributors in with the exact same commitment that we did. With no roadmap, literally no roadmap. How do you build these businesses? Okay, I don't know. I guess we just start building. Like, there's not like, like if you and I are going to make a car right now, right? We've got to. We're probably the first thing we're going to do is take apart a car, right? <laughs> Figure out how to make a car. That's well, right. you're building a business like this. There's no. What are you going to analyze? Yeah, it doesn't exist. So you just start, and you. Yeah, no, and and Rob was kind of one of the OGs. I mean, yeah. that he did. You know, with Ingrus and all that, it's it's, it's tremendous stuff. And so he called me one day and he goes, hey, I just want you to know that I think I'm going to be named the CEO of B-Port tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Because I was, I was talking to him about this other project that he was starting up um, in LA and, um, and they had reached out to him to take the CEO job at B-Port. And I was like, dude, you have to take this job. Like, right. <laughs> This company needs you so bad. And he's like, so you think I'd be happy doing it? And I was, because he's not really a DJ. I mean, he does know how to right. DJ, but it's not really what his passion is. Sure. But he's a one hell of an operator. Like, he's so good. And, um, and so he's like, well, I might need your help. And I was like, sure, you know, whatever you need. And he's like, all right, give me a year and I'll get back to you. And so I'm not even kidding you. Like he gets the CEO job and uh, it was probably, I don't know if it was exactly a year, but within, you know, a month or two, he called me and said, all right, here's what I need. And, you know, he wanted to launch, re- relaunch BeatSource. Right. Um, and in V1 of BeatSource, the idea was, and that's how I met Jimmy Iovine in the, the beginning anyway, was that we wanted to sell, like remember Rock Band and DJ Hero and Guitar Hero and all those uh, video games. Absolutely, yeah. They basically were going back to the masters and exporting them as stems. And and so um, they were using MIDI triggers off those video games to trigger the stem. So -hmm. it was all quantized, but you would play this and it would just be, you know, you were triggering the stem. So the drums or the guitar leads or the synths. And that's how they were doing these video games and we sat down and said to jimmy we took him through soundcloud because that was right when soundcloud was coming up um and we said here's all of these mashups every single one of them are bootlegs right why don't we just sell this shit to those (laughs) 
to those producers as stems right so that they can make real mashups and you guys can monetize those and yeah. the light just went off he was like oh my god so the name beat source was about stems and you know that's where that's where we got this idea mm-hmm. and so we literally signed the deal uh it took I don't know, six months of negotiating, but we signed the deal. We went to this dinner and only Jimmy and I, I mean, it's true. Like I like a little like fuck you LA power story. <laughs> we finished this deal at like two in the morning. Jimmy, I mean, a true story. He called I some local sushi story store or restaurant at like one o'clock and asked them to reopen. <laughs> and so we went to this sushi restaurant, like two in the morning, just like 10 of us at this table with the chef, sushi chef, and a couple other people taking care of us, just a private dinner. We finished at like four in the morning and I got an email at like eight in the morning from our largest investor saying, we have to cancel this deal. They've slipped some language into the contract and we're never going to work with these fucking guys again. And it was so benign, but Uh it was, again, when you have all these opposing parties that are now owning pieces of your company, you have to manage all this. It's an art form. And yep. I couldn't, I couldn't get these guys to budge. I couldn't get universal to take these deal points out. Um, and so we ended up scrapping that deal, but I maintained that relationship with Jimmy and that's how I ended up back at running or building beats music. Um, and, you know, I didn't take that beats music job all the way to the finish line. Ian, Ian Rogers took it, took right. it, but it was a, it was a, natural exit point for me you know they had a at beats by dre and i'm bouncing around a little bit no, it's all good. this is great in the beats by dre on day one of my job they told me straight out there's a build and a buy and we want you to build a build we want you to to staff a build team and but we're never going to stop trying to buy a company all so right. just it's a race yeah go build your team here's the money and so we got building and then we tried to buy Spotify. We tried to buy RDO. Mm-hmm. Um, but these were businesses that were pretty well established and funded at this point, And they just weren't probably acquirable for the kind of sure. capital that we could raise. But then they got onto MOG in San Francisco. And although I considered that an inferior project product, they had a really strong leader. Um, and, and it was a decent, opportunity in their mind they thought to accelerate right and so and i was really sound sandbagging it i mean (laughs) i fought the fight i probably won the battle and lost the war because because i got my ass fired because i was basically (laughs) saying we cannot buy this company no way no how and i just think they considered that like not my decision even though i technically i was a ceo they were just like you work for us right and so that's what benched me off the project. And then they had the, when they bought Mog, they had that CEO for 68 days and then they fired him and they went with Ian Rogers, who's, you know, really great leader and a really vision, visionary guy. And he was probably the best person uh, because he fit better with the company culture than I did. Sure. I mean, Jorge, I, I, I don't know your background before Symphonic, Mm-hmm. but my whole career has been entrepreneurial. Right. So I am honestly a terrible employee. <laughs> well, because, that's the lesson you learned there too, you know? Well, because I just don't, like, I don't, I don't know how to say it, but like, I have such great respect for Luke and Jimmy and, and Dre and, and Trent and honestly just gratitude for the here to the end of my life, but they didn't make my career. Right. And when you're in LA, you come up a funnel and all roads lead to these executives. Mm-hmm. So it's either going to be a Spielberg team or somebody else's team. And, but if you're in these little things, you, you transition up towards these mafia bosses that run these categories. And Jimmy right. runs a big category. I mean, he's without a doubt a mafia boss in this industry. Yeah. And so, but I wasn't a made, I wasn't made under his leadership. So I didn't have the loyalty that other people have. And they always felt that. Yeah. Interesting. Because I didn't, you know, like if they fired me and they did, it wasn't dramatic, by the way, it was a pretty natural knuckle punch. We've done what we can do. This wasn't a hostile, like crazy moment, but I think 
had I needed to get my next job in LA, it would have been a pretty devastating thing because when you leave an organization like that, where do you go? Right. Right. And so as entrepreneurs, that resiliency and grit that you learn is not just going to go away. I'm not going to hand my whole career to Jimmy Iovine and say, right. I don't matter. Everything I've ever done is because of you. Yeah. yeah. That's not, that's not fair. And so I don't operate that way. That's like a DJ saying that he owes his whole success to a promoter. That's just not fair. Exactly. And so, you know, we, we as entrepreneurs have to find our way through this mess. And so that's really what led me back to, to Beport was this, this feeling of being unfinished, this feeling of that I couldn't go work somewhere and not be a part of the story. I I was past that in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't a natural fit. Like I, I, I couldn't say it to the end of my days, like that work with Jimmy and Dre and that team was so special to me. That's awesome. But it's not more important than what I did at Beport. Not right. even remotely close. And, you know, which is awesome because we can talk a little bit about what's happening now and even in the future. I mean, Beport's been releasing a ton of new product. Um, it's really kind of embraced streaming for the DJ culture. Like, what are, what are you most excited about or what have been some of the... the well, just, just imagine for a second, before we get to that, just imagine that you're Rob, right? You step into the CEO role and you sit down with your heads of state and they give you all the bad news. Right. Hey, bud. <laughs> <laughs> we got a company culture problem. We got a, we got a tech debt issue that we can't mm-hmm. service. We've got this, that, and the other. Our revenue is is 50% of what it was four years ago. Like, what can we, like, and he, to his credit, I mean, like, again, I don't think Rob gets enough credit as being as good a CEO as he is. He -hmm. just leaned in and he cleaned shit up and they fired half of Beatport on a Tuesday or something, you know, (laughs) like, just thanks for playing. We're restarting. And they started over. And they kept that team in Berlin and, and a real salvage kind of mentality. And they made sure they kept the relationships and they went back to work. And, and with a real vision to, to de-risk the company, get back focused on the core customer. And the core customer cares about certain kinds of music. Let's get away from, you know, main stage festival businesses. That's not our core skill set. Let's don't try to be that. Right. Um, and so he turned all that around. And then when he brought me back in, it was originally on the beat source stuff and we digressed a little bit, but it was to get that beat source project staffed and figured out. We did a partnership with DJ city and it's working really well. Yep. So that business is coming up right now. Um, it's still the little brother to Beatport, but you know, I think 2021 is going to be a very formative year for uh, beat source, especially when these DJs can get back to work. Yep. Um, and, um, and then Rob broadened my responsibilities and brought me in full-time to lead um, on the brand and product, which is my core passion anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I basically have a very similar role that I have as a CEO, but I don't have the admin responsibility. Yeah. Um, right. And so I have an amazing business partner in Rob. Um, he has an, a very clear vision of what he wants to do in, with the company. And we've just started building products. And then the launch schedule that we have through 2021 is pretty mind blowing. Nice. It's going to be exciting. And I mean, just in general, like the new genre updates, like to, to be a little bit granular, like those things are, are kind of making Beatport or such a go-to to find music and discover it because streaming has gotten so saturated, so difficult to even find new material you know yeah yeah so so i think you believe in this too as symphonic is you know when we got into these businesses content was king right like you had to get content now the content is more or less ubiquitous um it's really hard to find an advantage with just content alone so your next best thing is curation (coughs) sorry yeah. And all businesses have to create a defendable competitive advantage, right? Like you have to be known for something. And so, you know, we wanted to win and we still want to win ultimately on the, 
the breadth and the depth of our content catalog. But where we're transitioning, and this is new for us, is we're transitioning into content management. Right. So what you're going to see from Bport, if you took a time shot of today and said, okay, Bport is a content uh, or a, a content retailer today, you're going to go forward one year and you're going to be like, okay, yeah. Bport is a big deal. And, and I can't totally expose the, the roadmap here, sure. but it's, but it's going to be great for um, customers and suppliers because we're, we're really creating a connected ecosystem like no one's ever done. Right. And in the, in our category, and it's going to be transformative in the way that people acquire, prepare and play music. Yeah. And that, that is, if you think of Bport's legacy for 17 years, we've been selling you content right? and then you go do whatever you do with it. Right. If you might use it in record box, you might use it in a tractor, you might burn it to a CD in the early days, whatever you do, we didn't care because we yeah. weren't in that business. Well, now, because of Link and these products that we're bringing online, we have to be in that business. We have to be in playlist creation, playlist management, yep. you know, uh, set management, set design. How can I help you build the best set you want to have? And how can I help you manage your content library across all these categories um how can i help you be a better producer what tools can i give you to make better tracks um and so it's really going to change in a very big way Jorge. That's, like it's exciting man i mean you know to to see and just for your fyi and for everybody's like we even saw the revenue growth of beatport this year as well you know what i mean and that was exciting you know knowing how the product is evolving and and to hear this i'm, I'm sure the audience that especially depends on Bport, I think is going to be really, really stoked to see what the brand and the product is going to be looking like going forward. Yeah. We got a bunch of cool stuff coming. That's awesome. Yeah. What Q, if, what Q1, Q1 of 2021 is pretty much like, Oh man, there's going to be like <laughs> massive rollout. It, it, truly if you go back and i want to and i want to be respectful to eloy here like eloy's vision as a dj was just like can't this be easier so that question still 17 years later is exactly the same can't this be easier and that's what's driving all of this product development and so you know everything we're doing is about making the lives of these djs and content suppliers easier and and in finally getting our house in order you know like we just didn't we were way behind schedule on improving ingestion and you know we don't have very many analytics you know that's not a core skill that we've been very good at you know we can't really report to you like how good things are doing what's trending what's not working and we're gonna you know we have been in a big data migration plan that took all year uh, it's almost done. I think they were at a 99% complete right now. So our goal was to finish it by the end of the year and we're on schedule. And so that frees up a lot of capacity in our organization to start building again. Um, and so, you know, I couldn't be prouder of the team's resilience and grit to get through the low points. And, and the other thing that's been amazing, and I know we're at the end here, but like, I, I just, again, I go, Beatport lost its swagger, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, so in 2018 or so, when I started working with the company again, uh, these guys were almost apologizing for being Beatport. Oh God, you know, like we're, we're working on, you know, and I was like, okay, first off, we have to change this. This is ridiculous. Right. Like right you're, you work at Beatport, like in our industry, that's as good as working at Nike. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, so take some pride. If you need to go say your last apologies, go get that done. But we're done with that chapter of this business. Yes, right. we fucked up. End of apology. <laughs> we're yeah. going to get better. Now, this team is hunkered down. They know exactly what they're doing. They believe in what they're doing. They work their asses off to be better every single day. And they demonstrate it. And so yeah. you watch what happened at Deport during 2020, during this pandemic, during the worst 
economic moment for this music industry. Beatport yeah. stood up. These teams stood up. They invented reasons to exist. We did major deals with Twitch to bring a lot of velocity into the streaming platforms. We were one of the first brands to embrace that. We brought over 100 million views to our Twitch channel. Just yeah, that. incredible. And I mean, Twitch in general is just what a great evolution from a brand awareness standpoint for you guys, but also for the people that you're putting on as well during these tough times. And I think in general, the, the type of content production that you guys are doing is also a good example for folks that are out there, you know, wanting to stream and so forth as well. So that, that's been pretty exciting to watch. And you guys have raised a ton of money as well, which has been really, really awesome. And that feels good. You know, like, listen, nobody can fix this. I can't go, you know, pay, pay, it would be great if we could just write checks and pay everyone's, you know, bar staff's salaries so that even though they're furloughed, they can still live. Right. That kind of stuff we can't solve. But what we can do is keep the allure and the pride of electronic music and the community strong because the community just lost its gathering place. That's, that's all it is. You know, like we don't, we lost our church buildings. So now we have to do it virtually. The church buildings will come back. We'll be able to go back to church and share these communal experiences. Sure. But until then, our job is to create new places to, to, to get what you need. Yeah. And and to share if you're a dj to share what you want to share and so i really i'm really just couldn't be prouder you know like and so it just gives me all this pride going into 2021 that the team really gets it yeah they really get it and they take a huge amount of pride in what they're doing and they are very proud to be at bport and that you know that is a huge shift yeah I that's could awesome. not tell you that when I walked in there. I think people were more or less like, that's eh, a job, you know, we're just, we're just in a different place now. Yeah, that's great, man. And, and what a hell of a journey, man. Thank you very much for sharing, you know, what I believe is a great sort of like beginning, middle and end story uh, within an hour. I mean, that's, that's, and you can go on about some really good stuff too, but uh, yeah, we might have uh, to do the extended dance remix yeah. of this podcast and tell the Dirty little secrets. Exactly. We'll do the, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the director's cut. But the director's uh, cut, you know, yeah. Jonas, thank you very much. Keep up the great work, man. And, uh, you know, say hello to obviously Rob and everybody on the team. We're excited for 2021 for what you're going to be doing. And, as a, and I think it's going to be a pretty interesting year for sure. Well, uh, no, I appreciate your support and your partnership. And I always, and I, and I don't tell you this enough, but you've always been there for me, dude. And I super appreciate it. So Absolutely. And always will, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you.